When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello everyone and welcome to this week's edition of the Spanish Football Podcast. I'm Phil Kitramelides, joined as ever by my good friend, colleague and all-round magnificent human being, Dr Sidlow. Hello Sydney. Hello Philip, that's quite an introduction. Well I thought you deserved it, you're worth it. You got up extremely early this morning and you went halfway across the country uh, to see Juan Laporta speak. There was an important moment in potentially... The history of the recent history of Spanish football in Barcelona. So you had to be there, obviously. We're going to talk about that in just a second. Uh, let's tell everyone first what happened on match day 29 in La Liga. Friday night saw Raya beat Osasuna by two goals to one uh, at Vallecas. Raito moving on to 40 points and almost certainly uh, assuring themselves of being in La Liga next season. Then on Saturday, Villarreal, they beat Real Madrid last weekend. So obviously they lost 2 1 at home to. Valladolid. Valladolid have scored five goals in the two games that their new manager, Paolo Pezzolano, uh, has been in charge. That's 20% of all the goals they've scored all season. So we can talk about the Pezzolano effect at Valladolid. Uh, Athletic beat La Real 2 0 in the Basque derby. Uh, brilliant Basque derby it was too. Played in the pouring rain. Iñaki Williams scoring both goals, the second of which is an absolute peach and makes a mockery of the notion that Iñaki Williams can't finish although we've seen him quite often not be able to finish. But he can now. Three consecutive games scoring for Iñaki. Then Betis beat Espanyol by three goals to one. Six consecutive defeats for Espanyol. They're in all sorts of trouble. And Real Madrid had 35 shots in their 2-0 win at Cadiz. Yes, they rested Vinicius. Yes, they rested Tony Cruz. But they had Rodrigo. They had Benzema. And they had very few problems against Cadiz on Saturday evening. Sunday saw Girona beat bottom club Elche by two goals to nil. Getafe in Barcelona played out a really quite awful 0-0 draw at the Coliseum. Alfonso Perez, first time in 18 years that Barcelona have drawn back-to-back league games 0-0. It wasn't good. They're still 11 points clear, but it wasn't a particularly good performance. Then Atletico Madrid beat Almeria by two goals to one. Antoine Griezmann scoring twice, playing brilliantly. It should have been much more comfortable for Atletico Madrid than it ultimately was. And then the big weekend game was on Sunday night at Mestalla. It was a relegation battle and it still takes a while for us to assimilate that Valencia against Sevilla is a relegation battle. But this season it was and it was won by Sevilla by two goals to nil. Sevilla moving eight points clear of the relegation zone. Valencia staying in the bottom three. They are in a world of trouble. And we're going to talk about them in just a second. Monday Night Football is Celta against Mallorca. And I want to tell you guys about our Patreon this week. We're going to have a Q&A pod out for patrons on Tuesday answering all your questions. Bonus pod coming up on Friday. Talking Chelsea, Real Madrid and Sevilla, Manchester United. Plus we've got a new episode of Rincón Cultural as well. That's all for patrons. Patreon.com forward slash TSFP. It's around about four quid a month. Look out also for the first episode of another classic TSFP Presents series, which we'll be re-releasing here for free on the Monday podcast feed uh, very soon indeed. We'll talk about the football this weekend in just a moment, Sidley. want to get into that Valencia-Sevilla game, which you were at. 
but you left Valencia this morning to go to Barcelona to hear Juan Laporta speak. It's been over two months since the Caso Negreiro scandal was uncovered. And it's taken two months for Juan Laporta to give this long-awaited press conference, which he gave today. What was it all about, Sydney? What did he tell us and what did we learn? Uh, what we learned, I think the, the, the thing that was new and I think the thing that kind of, if you like, that he was holding on to was, uh, was, was the prop. Uh, quite so, he was quite literally holding on to it. He turned up with some boxes on the on the stage in front of him, and those boxes were the reports put together by. Actually, as he kept insisting, and and he was very clear to enunciate very very clearly every word of the son's name. These were put together by the son of a, of of Negreda, not by Negreda himself. But of course, it was through Negreda himself's company that the invoices were paid, and he showed uh, forty three CDs. Um, I think it was uh, six hundred and twenty nine uh, reports that he had uh, put together, which was Laporta's way of saying, look, this is here, this is, this is his smoking gun, if you like. This is his piece of key, key evidence. Um, this is here to show that we were indeed employing him because he was very, very uh, capable technical experts on referees. He could advise us on refereeing issues, doing something that all clubs do. And here's the evidence for it. He said, you know, this is 600 and... I, say, I, say, I think it was 20, 629, 629... Um, reports, and this is only for a four-year period, so extrapolate that over the, this long period. We're demonstrating, we're accrediting the fact that he was doing work for us, the son, not the father, although the payments were made through the father's account. And that wasn't really explained properly, except for Laporta to say, well, you know, I, I guess the father and the son are close, and it kind of goes through him, but it's the son that was working for us. Um, so that was the piece of information, if you like, that was new. The rest of it was only really new in, in, in terms of the discourse, and obviously some of this we've heard before in clips um, where he's made occasional comments. He talked uh, a lot about Tebas. He talked a lot about defending Barcelona's honour. He talked about how what we've done is not a crime. What we've done is is not a problem. It's possible that if the he claimed, and he dropped this quite a few times, that the, the investigating team is investigating the possibility uh, and essentially what he was trying to say was the possibility that, that someone has used Barcelona to, to kind of take advantage financially, not in sporting terms, um, and in which case Barcelona would be a victim in this rather than, rather than the perpetrator of a crime. He said there is no crime, there is no match fixing, there's no demonstration, no evidence whatsoever of that. He made the point of saying that even in the report put together by the tax inspectors and then, and then the fiscal, the, the kind of investigating judge, I suppose you'd call it investigating magistrate or, or uh, public prosecution, uh, they said there's no, they, they themselves admit there's nothing to prove that matches were, were, were fixed or that we were trying to alter games in any way. Um, the other big thing that he did was turn it on to Real Madrid. He said that he felt that Real Madrid's decision to, what we've been trying to translate this, personificarse. You know, to, to basically present itself to the case that, look, we want to be involved in this. He described that as an act of cynicism without precedence in, uh, in I think he said in sport, but he might have even have said in anything ever. Um, and he, 
he talks about, he said, he said everybody knows that Real Madrid were the regime's team, that for 70 years every leader of the CTA, the Comité Técnico de Arbitros, was either a former Real Madrid player or a former Real Madrid director or a Real Madrid fan and member, or sometimes all three of those things, which got a little bit of a giggle in the room. Um, and he, he basically projected it back onto them. His actual argument, as I say, apart from showing the pieces of paper, which he didn't actually you know, hand round for everyone to look at, but the boxes were there on the table and he was going through them, there wasn't a huge amount that was really, really new. I was struck by a number of things. Um, one of them mm-hmm. was the manner in which he limited it to himself. Um, so this wasn't a joint press conference with other presidents. Bear in mind that we're talking about four presidential periods um, that this spans. He used the phrase my mandate quite a few times and I think he was effectively implying you know if something's gone on it could be in other uh, other mandates which meant that we didn't get the answers to some of the questions that weren't during his mandate so for example um, you would expect someone to say well why was it that you stopped paying paying him in 2018 when he stopped being the uh, president of the sorry the vice president of the of the CTA now that question directly wasn't asked but a question was asked about when Negreda was, uh, when it was decided to stop paying him, Negreda sent a bureau fax to Barcelona and threatened to reveal the irregularities. And he was asked what the irregularities were. And Laporta said, well, I, I wouldn't want to speculate. I don't want to speak for third parties. I wasn't in, in power at the time. And I think that, that, in a way, serves as what the answer would have been had he been asked, well, why did you let him go in 2018? I'm sure he would have said, that wasn't my decision. And I just thought it was interesting that he projected if you like, a discourse about defending Barcelona as an institution, but it was done without any real mention. In fact, I'm not sure we heard the names of all of the other presidents, certainly not together in the same sentence um, in, the, in the in the whole press conference. Uh, there was a mention of Gaspar and what he'd inherited from him. But I'm not sure I heard the words Bartomeu or Rosé said at any point. Uh, where do we go from here, Sid? Well, to be honest with you, we don't go anywhere. Um... By which I mean that Laporta has quite rightly, by the way, um, has said that you know this is a legal investigation now, and, and that has to that has to you know go through its process. It go through you have to let that that take its course, and, and that of course is true. Mm-hmm. And, and a big thrust of what he was saying was that you know we haven't done anything wrong. We will defend our honour against those who've who he kept using this phrase uh, a false hypothesis. The false hypothesis in his view being that Barcelona did this to try to influence referees. He said that Negreda didn't have that power anyway. He said that the investigation from the, from the tax office and, and, and the fiscal didn't, um, didn't demonstrate that. The accusation from Negreda when he said that he thought this money was being paid to, to guarantee neutral referees. Laporta said, well, that's Negreda saying that. And he even says himself quite clearly in the report this is his interpretation no one at Barcelona has directly said to him we want this to mm-hmm. you know to give us better refereeing or to give us fair refereeing um, so where we go from now to be honest I think is unless more information becomes public probably nowhere in so far as the investigation now will run its course um, as I say Laporta dropped the idea a number of times about the, the possibility that Barcelona were victims of something, and of course that comes back to the question of the, this this guy called Contreras, who was a member of the Comisión Deportiva at Barcelona, so he's not a director as such, whose company was effectively the the stop off point for the invoices to Barcelona, and he seemed to be taking fifty percent. In other words, 
there is a suggestion there that somewhere along the line, Barcelona's money wasn't going to what it was supposed to be going to because someone had put themselves in the middle. And as Laporta is saying, that would make Barcelona the victims rather than the perpetrators. Now, there are some doubts that I think haven't been answered, things like... Um, you know, the other presidents, things like why did it take so long to, to do this press conference in the first place? Um, what about the role of these other presidents and, and, you know, have there been discussions with them, for example? He said a few times that, you know, people are trying to, uh, what was his word, apropiarse al club, you know, take control of the club. Well, who? Who exactly is trying to take control of the club? Who are you talking about? It would be nice to know. Um, there are elements of it that didn't, didn't entirely fit. But I think what happens now, to be honest, is nothing. Except, of course, for the possibility that there is some sort of action from UEFA. And he was asked this directly, Laporta, and he said that despite the fact that Thefadin had spoken out um, initially, that he thinks that UEFA had taken a step back from that initial belligerent stance, which he then accused uh, Javier Tebas of having been behind. He spent a lot of the day accusing Tebas, a lot of the day accusing Tebas. He accused Tabas a lot, and then he said, "Oh no, but Seferin, no, no, you're okay. You're you're all right. You're you're doing it the right way. So please don't throw us out of the Champions League." Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously, what what UEFA had this um, the the kind of the justification for UEFA would be that they they in theory invite people to take part in European competition. Now that's obviously um, a semantic sleight of hand because they don't invite you; you qualify. Now, all right, even if strictly speaking you get invited by them, you qualify. So if you suddenly change the rules on the basis of which you invited people, there would, I am sure, be a legal challenge. So my guess would be that UEFA wouldn't take that step it, and that they too would wait for the case to, to, to be played out. Yes. And I suspect that that's what's going to happen now, is that this is basically going to be what happens now. Well, we will wait for the case to be played out. OK, we will wait for the case to be played out and we will wait and see how this case develops. Let's talk about the football then, Sydney. Let's talk about the game you were at last night. Uh, we want to talk about uh, Mestaya, Valencia being beaten 2-0 by uh, Sevilla. We'll talk about Sevilla in just a moment because they're eight points clear of the relegation zone now. They very much look like they're out of the relegation battle. They're actually eight points off off a potential European spot as well. So it really does feel like now they can kick on for the rest of the season and try and be positive. That's what it feels like anyway. For Valencia, it's very much the opposite. They're in a Really catastrophically bad situation. Didn't think they played... I was going to say they didn't play too particularly badly. They didn't play well, but they were trying last night. They just didn't necessarily have that much more to give. And I was particularly struck by the decision to leave Samuel Lino on the bench last night. Arguably their best player or one of their best players in, 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 in this season. He was left on the bench and the manager, Ruben Baraja, went for this double full-back on the left-hand side business with Tony Lato and Gaia, which I felt sent a bit of a sent a bit of a negative message out to the to the team. It was a more of a defensive idea. They were desperate not to get beaten. I don't know. I don't think they played that badly, but they weren't. They didn't have much, and and, and the manager. I don't want to say he looks out of his depth, but he hasn't really made much of an impact. Sid. No, um, and and the fact that let me go to the way that you just presented it, and I think it's absolutely right that they tried you know they didn't play too badly and they tried and the, the, the reason I bring that up is because the, the thrust of, of um, Ruben Baraka's press conference pre-game and, and you know this because I sent you a, 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 like a, a, yes. screen gra- a screen grab of it was essentially him saying we've got to demand more and, and the, actually the, the Valencia based sports paper Super Deporte made a point and actually used this as its front page headline 
um, fist on the desk, which is a phrase in Spanish, but Ruben Baraka did it, did it quite literally. You know, he quite literally thumped the desk. A fist on the desk is we've got to demand more from the players and demand more from everyone. And it doesn't just mean the players, it means the, the kit man and the staff and the coaches and me and the players and everyone. And this is Valencia and we've got to demand more. And as you say, well, demand more, obviously, and we tend to fall into these cliches when you talk about a team at the bottom of the table, you know, things like um, the fight and spirit and all that kind of stuff. Um, but if you look at what he said, there's really no content. And this is why I sent it to you, because it was this sort of <laughs> circular thing. And it was quite a long answer that didn't really go anywhere. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with that, because quite often managers don't give you their content. And why would they, by the way, in a press conference? But, but it, it, this idea that it was all about the effort. And then you watch them last night, you thought, it's not really the effort that's your problem. Your problem is clarity in front of goal, and they, they miss a lot of chances. They didn't make many last night. They don't score very many goals. Correct me if I'm wrong, I think it's four under Baraja, of which one's been a penalty and one's been an own goal. Um, so, so, you know, it's, mm. it's, it's not a great return. And the other was, was the, 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 the goal that they scored against Almeria in the game that they lost 2-1, so it didn't lead to anything. Um, I think that they need, actually, they need calmness as much as anything else, as much as this idea of, right, let's get everybody going. And maybe what they need in part is an idea. And as you say, in so far as there was an idea at the weekend, it was a shift to something a little bit more defensive, a shift to something that, to be perfectly honest, didn't entirely convince and no, they didn't play badly. But you tell me a Dimitrovic save. I can only think of one, and it was from an accidental cross that almost went in from Fulquier. One actual save. Oh, it's yeah, the only... in the first half, that yeah. was it. Yeah, yeah. That's the only one I can think of. Yeah. Now, I would agree um, with Yunus Musa, who post-game was saying, you know, they barely attacked us. It's not like they created anything. He's basically right. Sevilla basically didn't do very much either. But they got the two goals, one from a corner. Valencia again getting caught from a corner. The other a really nicely worked goal, actually. But it begins with a robbery high up the pitch, which, which Valencia were, were perhaps a little bit weak on and then got cut open. And then it had one other really, really good chance at the very, very start when they're actually a little bit unfortunate, one that bounces off Ocampos' knee and goes just wide as he's sliding in with the goalkeeper. Mm. And, mm. and there's not much there from Sevilla. And Mendelibar said after the game, look, we didn't generate very much. They maybe generated a bit more than us, but they didn't take the chances. And that is what's weighing on them at the moment. And I think that's right. That is what's weighing on them. But you have to look at them and say, well, OK, so let's deal with this or let's try and find a solution to this. It's not just about saying everyone's got to give more. Uh, you mentioned the word robbery in terms of ball recovery. Valencia were talking about robbery in other terms after the game. They were very, very uh, displeased with the, the first goal uh, mm. standing for Sevilla. It looked like there could have been a foul on Yunus Musa uh, from Loic Bade, but uh, it wasn't given and the goal stood. And then Valencia were given uh, were, were, were potentially awarded a penalty and um, the referee didn't give it for a handball. I mean... I saw a tweet from Rio midfielder Oscar Valentin during the game. I don't know if you saw that. He said, right now, if you ask me what is a handball, I have absolutely no idea. This is a player who's playing in La Liga week in, week out. Uh, do you think that Valencia had mm. any <laughs> any justification in their complaints uh, on the referee? One of their directors, Javier Solis, went on TV afterwards and, and said something a little bit... Um, Unfortunately, he said, this stinks. This absolutely stinks. And well and mal in football, suggesting that there are um, undertones yeah. here, uh, which uh, we don't necessarily want to uh, want to get into or, or necessarily believe. But Valencia, very, very unhappy about the referee. Yeah, I, I think I think his 
tone. Uh, it was quite interesting, actually, uh, Solis, because he was saying, I, I, um, you know, I'm trying to control myself here. I think, my God, it's a good job you did control yourself because if, if this is you controlling yourself, imagine you letting go. Um, mm. The kind of things he might have said. I, I think that degree of discourse was was wrong. I can understand why the furious, not least just on a purely human level, which is that you've got a situation in which you're under a huge amount of pressure in which uh, possibly going down would be would be really, really bad news at all sorts of levels for Valencia, given the given the financial difficulties, given the, the, the social fracture that there is a cl- at the club. Uh, and I can understand why you'd be furious. And in particular, I can understand why, why players would be immediately after the game. Um, I'm going to let's go through the decisions. For me, I think it would have been absurd to have ruled out the first goal that Sevilla scored for a foul on Yunus Musa. I think it's possible if you look it look at it with a replay and you go through it slowly and you stop it and you start it, you might see a point at which you think uh, perhaps. And I can understand that, and I can certainly understand why Musa himself would say, "Well, look, I was fouled." But I think if you watch it, it's one of those from a corner where Musa and um, and it's Bade, isn't it? Musa and Bade are kind of yeah. are kind of grappling with each other. And actually, I think the first foul is possibly from Musa, who kind of got his arm around Bade and pushes him forward. And okay. I, I think then I think then Bade kind of pushes him back again. But then it's interesting that they talk okay. about they talk about it as being a trip, because there's a moment in which Bade's leg um, seems to catch the the ankle of Musa. But I think that's because he's been pulled backwards. Yes. I don't think he's got. I don't think that's his fault. Okay, so so nothing there then for you. Nothing there for me. And, and here's the thing with Oscar Valentin. Um, and, and I, you know, I understand that players say this, and, and up to a point, I can understand. I, I, I sort of agree with them as well. But I actually think we have gone a bit too far in this discourse now. Of no one knows what handball is. That's not actually true. Um, we, we 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 don't necessarily agree with the referee's decisions, but we do have an idea of what handball is. And in my opinion, last night's was an absolutely clear cut handball. It's a penalty. The mm-hmm. only possible indication for me is if it might have hit his thigh first on the way up. It's the only possibility. And yes. the replay, I can't see an angle that suggests that. Um, I think it's a handball for a couple of reasons, uh, fundamentally. Well, I think it's a handball for three reasons. Number one, I think it stops Samuel Castillejo possibly getting through. And I, th- and I think actually the effect of the handball, the, the, what, the consequence of it, does matter. Uh, and, and this is where okay. I sometimes have arguments with referees. Well, with referees. I have arguments with Ito, Ito about this. Ito Rale Gonzalez, former referee who works for the same radio station as me. And I sometimes say, all this is just bollocks, really. You know, this is a bottom line. We know, we know sort of what the, the, the fundamentals are. That's one thing. The other one is the referee claimed afterwards that the hand was in a natural position. He was showing that it was, he was kind of doing this gesture to say it was down. I don't think that's a natural position at all. I don't okay. think that's, that's a natural position. And not only that, but I think the hand moves towards the ball rather than the other way around. Now, obviously, they're both okay. moving towards each other, but I think the hand moves towards the ball rather than the other way around. And so I think that's, I think that's a penalty. But the other one that Valencia are given and is taken off them, I think, um, I think yeah, absolutely no is way. a penalty, and I think it's right. No. I think it's right it was taken off them. Uh, OK. Um, next week, they are playing against Elche, bottom club Elche. It's a regional rivalry, regional derby. You know what? If they lose that, I think they might get rid of Baraja. I genuinely think they might get rid of them. There's still eight games. They'd still have eight games left, which is enough time for someone to come in and and to save them. But let's see. Anyway, that's pure speculation on my part. Um, Sevilla have um, have got a new manager. They're unbeaten under uh, Mendy Libar. Um, two wins and two draws in his four matches in in all competitions. Uh, they've scored two goals in each of those four games as well. So they're, they're getting goals. They've kicked on. It's not that they're doing anything 
particularly brilliantly. I can't, you know, say that they've played astoundingly well in any of those four games, but it's a recurring theme from any player that you hear speaking about what they're doing now. Things are simpler. They've got a clear idea of what the manager wants them to do and they can uh, just about implement it. Yeah, I think that's exactly it, isn't it? And this is the whole point of, of, of Mendelebar. That's exactly what he's all about. It's, it's about making sure you know exactly what you're doing, making sure you don't take any risks. And, and yeah, at times it's not particularly pretty, but so far it's working. And I think in part it's because they, they've reached a point of exaggeration with Sam Pauli. Now, the, the degree of, of risk-taking was, was overplayed. It was a bit too much. And I think now they've, they've, they've put themselves in a position where, where there's clarity. Now, this isn't to say that this is perfect. It isn't to say that, that, that it will always work. But so far, it's working. And to be honest, so far, it's what they needed as well. Uh, they've got Manchester United at home on Thursday in the second leg of their quarter-final in the Europa League. It's 2-2 after an unlikely draw in the first leg. Anything can happen. So let's see how Sevilla get on between now and the rest of the season. A quick word about some of the other games uh, this week. We should mention, I mean, we spoke about Barcelona at the top of the programme with the, the, the Negreira case. And to be fair, that nil-nil draw against Getafe, I commentated it. It was not a particularly good game, so we don't need to dwell on that too much. Although if there is something you want to ask us, please do. We'll answer it on the Q&A pod. Uh, Real Madrid actually looked surprisingly good against Cadiz with these 35 shots, 11 on target and expected goal of goals of 3.52. Uh, it took until the 72nd minute for Nacho to score the first goal. They could have scored many, many more. Really impressed with Rodrigo playing on the left-hand side. Mm. He looked absolutely fantastic. Yeah, he was brilliant. <laughs> of course, of course, it does pose that question. Well, what do you do now? <laughs> because he was so good and that's finished. You, 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 you could play him there. You could play him there. And if you need to rest Benzema, you can play Vinicius through the middle. Yeah, although so far the, the belief has been that he's the one that plays through the middle, isn't it? That he kind of, kind of is a flo- yes. floaty number 10. Um, yeah. But then, of course, that would still only be a solution when one of them's missing. Now, obviously, look, the answer is that he plays on the right, Vinicius plays on the left, Benzema plays through the middle. I've, I've always thought that Vinicius is, is, sorry, Vinicius and Rodrigo, they're, they're interesting because they're different types of players. I, I kind of, there's been times certainly earlier in their career, not definitely not so now, over the last 18 months or, or perhaps a little bit more, where I've kind of liked Rodrigo more than Vinicius. He's a little bit smoother. He's a little bit, hmm. to use that Spanish word, he's a little bit more fino, isn't he? He's a little, there's, there's, there's a sort of a finesse about him. He's, he's, he's lovely to watch. He glides. He was combining really, really well with Benzema. Although, funnily enough, I thought the player that best combined with Benzema was, was Marco Asensio. Those, hmm. two, those two played three or four really lovely little one-twos around the edge of the area. And you're right, Ramsey were really, really good. Uh, ahead of that game against uh, Chelsea tomorrow night. Let's see if they make it through to the Champions League semi-finals. They should. They really should. And uh, we'll uh, we'll see how they get on in uh, in Europe. I want to mention the Basque derby and give a shout out for this fantastic fixture. It's the best derby in world football. Forget Buenos Aires, forget Athens, forget Istanbul, Glasgow, North London. This is the best derby in world football because you do not need seething rage, fury and hate for a derby to be special, for it to be passionate. There's plenty of passion in the Basque derby and you've got fans who are together before, during 
and after the game, sharing in the spectacle, united by this feeling of of basqueness, the bond of between them of basqueness is stronger uh, than uh, than anything else. Even though the rivalry is very very strong and it's very very fierce, and I know there's people at home sitting there thinking, "God, that sounds bloody terrible." Well, Derby, <laughs> when you've got you've got other fans sitting, that sounds awful. I want a bit of edge. I want a bit of hate. I want a bit of aggro. But if you go to a Bar Starby, you will see during the 90 minutes, it is fierce. It's not as if they're sitting there applauding each other going, oh, yes, we are all Basque. La, 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 let's hold hands. <laughs> that doesn't happen. It's not like that. It is fierce. It is loud. It is deafening. And there is that edge to it. And yet there is that respect and that belief that we can share in this spectacle. We can enjoy this spectacle. We're both a part of this spectacle. And we don't need to have this violent aggressive undertone to make it special and to 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 make it uh, you know a, a proper derby so i just want to shout out to the bass derby that this is this is the best derby in the world for me you've you've, you've absolutely nailed it because i think the, the 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 key thing is exactly that that if you start talking about a friendly derby people make the assumption that it's actually a little bit wet and it is normally wet because it's normally pissing down with rain but you, you know what i mean it's a bit soft it's as a, it should be and, and but in fact the game itself is is you're absolutely right is hard, sometimes dirty, um, very direct at times. There's huge challenges flying everywhere. It really matters to both teams. There just seems to be a capacity. And by the way, look, it's worth pointing out that there is a rivalry off the pitch and there are times when, when you'll hear Real Sociedad say things, Real Sociedad fans be very kind of um, dismissive of Athletic and vice versa, that there will be a touch of that. Of course. But it never gets... You know, I mean, occasionally it can be a little bit unpleasant in that, you know, someone will say something that they don't need to say or whatever. But yeah, it's fundamentally really, yeah, it's great. It's great. It's a proper good derby. It is. It certainly is. And it was settled by Nyaki Williams, who's, who's on, a, is on a roll, Sid. Four goals in his last three games, scored in his last three. The second goal was absolutely fantastic. If he could do that a little bit more often, there'd be no one questioning uh, his ability in the final third. The Williams brothers have scored all of Athletic's goals this month. So between him and Nico, uh, they've been responsible for um, Athletic's five goals. So congratulations to them. Quick word on Antoine Griezmann as well, who scored both of the goals for Atletico in the 2-1 win over Almeria. I think he's the player of the season, Sid. I mean, we've been talking about this consistently now, whether or not he is the player of the season in the league. He's he's doing it every week. Yeah. He's doing it every single week. Scoring, assisting, controlling games. He did it again on Sunday and he was just brilliant. He is brilliant and he's everywhere and he plays all over the pitch and yeah. does a huge amount of work and he's clever and he understands the game. He's technically very good. Um, he's physically very strong. He... He doesn't need to be rested. He doesn't need to be protected. He's 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 just found his place now, and and he seems to be. There was something really interesting that he said at the weekend. Uh, he he talked about returning to Atletico and needing to be small because he he kind of appreciated what he'd done. In other words, not trying to stand out. You know, not trying to make a noise. You know, I'm hmm. just here. I accept what's what comes to me. I do things the right way. I don't try and sort of stand up and say. You know, I'm Bertie Big Bollocks. Um, but I tell you what, he is Bertie Big Bollocks. <laughs> he's, 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 just absolutely, <laughs> he's, just, he's just a fantastic footballer. Uh, he, he's moved on to 11 league goals this season. Remember, he wasn't allowed to play... <laughs> 
full matches at the at the start of the season, but now he very much is, and he's uh, he's, he's very much dominating proceedings. It is an absolute pleasure uh, to watch Antoine Griezmann week in, week out. A quick word about what happened in the Segunda. Leaders Eibar lost 3-1 at Albacete on Friday, and it means that their lead at the top is down to just a point. Granada are now second. They beat promotion rivals Las Palmas 2-1 to go above them, and Levante could go level on points with Granada if they beat Mirandes tonight. Oh, and Oviedo beat Lugo 2-1. Up the Oviedo. There we go. Unbelievable. Uh, no, wait, 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 wait. Go on. Sorry, sorry. Oviedo scored two goals. Now, our regular listeners will probably know this, but just in case they don't, we are in April, right? Now, you don't need to be a regular listener to know that we're in April. <laughs> you need to be a regular listener to know the next But thanks time. for confirming. Yeah. Okay. We've reached April... Oviedo had not had a single game all season in which they didn't score <laughs> zero or one. This weekend they scored two. They have broken the record. I think, correct me if I'm wrong, I think it's 36 weeks into the No, it can't be quite that many. 30, no, maybe it is 36 weeks into the season. No, no it's not quite that many. Anyway, it's 30 plus weeks into the season. They, uh, Mr. Chip put out a tweet and I'm very glad to see confirmed what I assumed 36, was the case. 36, you were right. 36. 36, crikey. Right, he put out a tweet and I was yeah. glad to see it confirmed that it, that it is indeed what, what, what I thought. They have broken the record. They have smashed the record. I think the previous best was something like, well, best, I don't know if best is really the word, but the previous best was something like 15. Uh, so it's just extraordinary. They scored after seven minutes. Uh, and obviously our listeners won't know this, you already do. And I messaged the WhatsApp group, the TSFB internal communications channel, and said, Oviedo scored after only seven minutes. It couldn't, could it? And it did. <laughs> they did actually manage to score two goals. Absolutely extraordinary, Oviedo. Well done, guys. Well done. <laughs> uh, this week we've got Chelsea against Real Madrid on Tuesday and Sevilla against Manchester United on Thursday. So lots for us to talk about on our bonus podcast uh, for patrons at patreon.com forward slash TSFP. So come and join us. Ask us a question as well. We'll answer it tomorrow on the Q&A pod. And if you don't want any of that, okay, it's all right. We understand. We'll see you next week right here for the Monday podcast. Adios. Cheerio. Network.